Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. Now, uh, the uh, ex-FBI counterintelligence chief, the former head of counterintelligence at the FBI's New York office, is now in talks to plead guilty to charges relating to work that he allegedly did for a Russian. A Russian who was sanctioned. A Russian oligarch who was sanctioned. Charles McGonigal was indicated. Okay, no, that should be indicted, CNN. He was indicted. He wasn't indicated. He was indicted earlier this year on charges, including violating U.S. sanctions, conspiracy, and money laundering. Because he worked in 2021 with Russian oligarch Oleg Deripaska, who was sanctioned for interfering in the 2016 U.S. presidential election. So one of the Russian oligarchs that got sanctioned, not the not the the widow of the mayor of Moscow, because she was meeting with Joe Biden. So they were chums. So she's not sanctioned. But Oleg Deripaska, he got sanctioned. Because he was a total Trumper, don't you know, right? He was all up in the, you know, conspiracy to get Trump into office so he could be Putin's puppet, right? So this is who the the FBI's New York office head of counterintelligence, this is who he goes to work for, obviously. I mean, sure. He retires out of the FBI and goes to work for this Russian, this sanctioned Russian oligarch. The same day McGonagall was charged in a separate case in Washington for concealing $225,000 that he allegedly received from a former Albanian intelligence employee. Huh. Hmm. So this is CNN story. And they, they talk about the judge, Jennifer Reardon, who is overseeing the case and how she ordered, uh, issued an order yesterday indicating that she had been informed that he may wish to enter a change of plea. So she set a date for next week. And then it talks about the Albania case. Um, there was a court hearing on that last week, and McGonagall's attorney told the judge overseeing that case that there was a decent chance that the case is going to be resolved without having to go to trial, but we'll know later. And let's see what else CNN talks about. McGonagall is one of the highest-ranking former FBI officials to be charged with a crime, and he's pleaded not guilty to both indictments so far. No comment. And all right, well, that's it. Hmm. I feel like there's something missing about this guy. Hmm. Right? I mean... How do you end up working for this sanctioned Russian oligarch in 2021? Because, like, if I do the math on that, um, 
Yeah, it's going to sound like he was in a position of authority at the FBI during the whole crossfire hurricane investigation, right? I mean, the timeline sort of lines up, I think. But CNN does not mention that. Let me see here. Let's go over here to the New York Post. We'll see what the Post says. Disgraced FBI agent Charles McGonigal, who investigated the Trump campaign's alleged ties to Moscow. Oh, there. Okay, right there. First sentence. There you go. He investigated the Trump campaign's alleged ties to Moscow in 2016. He played a central role in the FBI's controversial Russiagate investigation of former President Donald Trump, which ultimately led to Robert Mueller getting appointed as special counsel to probe potential Russian meddling in the 2016 election. What am I supposed to make of this? Of all the oligarchs on the planet, Charles McGonagall goes to work for a Russian guy. One of the guys that got sanctioned for the meddling that McGonagall was supposedly investigating for its connections to Trump. So what happened? Is this one of those deals where it's like, well, you know, now that I'm retired, I'm going to get me some of that action. Or maybe it was, oh, now that I'm retired, I'm going to buddy up to this Oleg Deripaska guy and I'm going to really get the goods on Trump. Right? Maybe it was like that. Maybe it was like the meeting. Remember that... uh, what, what's his face? Went to the lawyer for the DNC and he went to the FBI uh, chief guy, James Baker, and he went to Baker and he's like, I'm not here as a representative of the Hillary Clinton campaign, but I totally am. So here's some info. Just a concerned citizen. Maybe, maybe that's what McGonagall was trying to play. But note, CNN omits any connection between McGonagall and the Russiagate crossfire hurricane collusion investigation. Bias is not just in how you tell the details that are in the story, but it's what you leave out, right? It's evident in what is omitted. Here's another story from the New York Post. This one is from back in January. Back in January. Not only did he play a key role in the Bureau's controversial Russiagate probe of former President Donald Trump, but he also was part of the defensive briefing of Hillary Clinton's lawyers. Charles McGonigal, a.k.a. Charlie, 54 years old, was among the first FBI officials to learn that Trump campaign advisor George Papadopoulos told an Australian diplomat that Russia had political dirt on Clinton. This guy was at the nexus of it. He was at the origin. FBI Deputy Assistant Director Jonathan Moffa told the Senate, or would that be Mofa? I don't know. Moffa. Like Jimmy. Anyway, uh, he told the Senate Judiciary Committee uh, staffers in 2020 that he got a July 2016 email. So, you know, six months before the election or five months, four months, whatever. He gets an email. This deputy assistant guy, Maffa, gets an email from McGonagall, which contained the reporting that served as the basis for opening Crossfire Hurricane. McGonagall this is where it came from. And then McGonagall retires and goes to work for a Russian oligarch who was at who, who was also at the nexus of the quote, interference in the American 2016 election. Why would you go to work for him? 
am I am I supposed to believe that 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 ethical lapse that that was the first time? Or was that just the first time you got caught? Shortly before Mueller was appointed, McGonagall also sent a message to an FBI colleague that discussed how agents were interviewing another Trump campaign advisor. You know who that was? McGonagall sends a message to an FBI colleague saying, hey, we're interviewing Carter Page. Once again, here's Charlie McGonagall at the Nexus, at the Origin. Carter Page got wiretapped by the FBI in 2016 based on an application under the FISA Act, or the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, which asserted that he had been the subject of targeted recruitment by the Russian government. Carter Page denies that. The application also cited claims from the Steele dossier, the discredited Steele dossier. But that application got renewed three times, right? Four total, got renewed three other times. It was granted, then renewed three times. And that led to the Justice Department's Inspector General to issue a scathing 2019 report that called it a clear abuse of the FISA process. In 2020, former FBI lawyer Kevin Kleinsmith pleaded guilty to falsifying an email Tied to the final FISA application to monitor Carter Page, he was sentenced to one year of probation. Oh, and by the way, he has his law license back. That's the kind of punishment GovCo gets. McGonagall's name is also first on a list of FBI officials who received an October 22, 2015 memo about a classified defensive briefing given to lawyers for Clinton's presidential campaign about attempts by an unidentified foreign government to influence the candidate through lobbying efforts and campaign contributions. That document was made public in 2020 by Lindsey Graham, who said it showed, quote, a clear double standard by the DOJ and FBI when it came to Trump versus Clinton, right? When it came to the Trump campaign, you had four counterintelligence investigations opened up against Trump campaign associates. Not one time was President Trump defensively briefed about the FBI's concerns. Not once. But Hillary, she gets those briefings. All right, now you've heard me talk about them. Old Grouch's military surplus. They're expanding with more ways to get your hands on authentic U.S. military surplus items. Go to oldgrouch.com. Check out the links for the online auctions for rare finds and the vintage shop. Unique, really cool items from modern tactical gear to historical collectibles. Tim at Old Grouch's is always finding new stuff. When I started the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, my first advertiser was Old Grouch's. If you enjoy the show and derive any value from it, I'm hoping that you will consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. Let's head on over to the phone lines and we'll put Steve on the air. Hello, Steve. Welcome to the show. Hey, Pete. How you doing? Hey, I am well. What's going on? Good, good. You got a, you got a rise of humor. I appreciate it. Um, I wanted to real briefly mention a clip that I saw earlier and it's a um it's a it's a it's a shout out from the former lieutenant governor, Republican lieutenant governor down in Georgia. His name is Jeff Duncan, G E O F F. That funky British spelling. Yeah, not but, uh not the because there's a congressman named Jeff Duncan too, right? 
Jeez, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, don't I, thought, know, but he, I think I that's think Jay. I think he spells it the J E F F. Yeah. So Jeff uh, has a his his he has a warning for Republicans, and uh, his his warning kind of centers around uh, if if Republicans don't face the truth, they are going to de facto reelect Joe Biden. So what I was going to suggest was, and I talked to your producer about this, that you play that clip. Um, it's only about a minute and a half, two minutes in its entirety so people can get the context of what he's saying. He was there um, in January or December or December of 2020 or January of 2021, whenever some of those calls occurred. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's, he's got some good context that I think people should hear. Who, so what, what do you think happens when people who believe that the election was stolen and that Mike Pence could have thrown out all of the uh, the ballots and that uh, the fraud was to such extent in Georgia that uh, they stole the election? Uh, and so what do you think those folks who already believe that and they hear this clip from Jeff Duncan, who, by the way, that those same people believe that Jeff Duncan is a rhino, and a backstabber and disloyal. What do you think they? What do you think they get from it? What's the context? Well, you know, as we as we well know, and you've talked about this before, um, some of the psychological tricks that uh, have led to just what you're saying. I mean, the ad hominem argument of you can't trust this guy because you know because of X. I, I, I have I have been backfilled against what he speaks by repetitive statements, um, you know, it might not make any difference to him. But what, you know, this guy, he's a heart, he's still a Republican. They yeah, they is, would not say that. He's got a, he's got a heartfelt uh, suggestion to people. So here, so Steve, what I have learned in the last six years now, I guess since 05, eight years, I guess now, is that, um, that none, none of that matters. It doesn't matter. People have their opinions about Donald Trump, and they can change their opinions based on what uh, what they see or hear Donald Trump say, and that's basically it. People are not going to come to uh, they're not going to they're not going to be moved off of their support for Donald Trump by something that Jeff Duncan says or what was the other guy's name Raffensperger, right? That because they I mean even when 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 people bail on Donald Trump and and. Uh, and turn on him and say, this is what he's actually like, and this is why you shouldn't believe him, and all this other stuff. They don't believe them. They don't they, they don't believe people that were close to Trump that tried to give people, you know, an inside uh, perspective of Trump. They, it doesn't matter to them, and it never has, it, because th- this is what a cult of personality looks like. And I know people who love Donald Trump, uh, they take offense at that, and I understand why. I don't mean it to be offensive, but that is essentially what we're seeing. I saw it with Obama, too. And I look, I, I'm not one of these guys like I don't fall in love with politicians. So it's a it's a foreign thing for me, no matter who's the politician. But I also recognize because I beat my head against the wall on, uh, you know, arguing with people that are in the tank for Trump, much like I beat my head against the wall with people who are in the tank for other politicians. That doesn't change their opinions. People believe what they believe about what happened in in Georgia and in 2020, and and Jeff Duncan saying, "Hey guys, we can't have Trump the not be the nominee, or else we're going to lose." They hear that. They already know that. They've already heard this. They don't believe it. And him saying it's not going to make them believe it. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Like that's pessimistic, maybe, but I think, but I think that's real. I mean, that's realistic. I, I, I've never met anybody that was like, oh, you know what? Raffensperger now says this, so okay, fine. Or I mean, look at what look at the whole Ron DeSantis versus Donald Trump. Um, what their camps are doing to each other because um, they're making this DeSantis and everybody else is making the same argument. You know, Trump should step aside so this way we'll have a better chance of beating Biden and Trump world says that's not the case. And and then they say if Trump's not the nominee, they're not going to they're not going to vote for any of the other Republicans. So yeah, I I don't know, that's why I look I, I'm not a registered Republican man and, and like I I look at this and I find it interesting, but people want me to like pick sides and go attack other sides or whatever. Why? Well, like I don't I I I don't need to do that. Everybody is perfectly capable of denigrating each other on their own and coming up with their own opinions on that stuff. Well, Pete, I'm I'm just impressed as heck with what you've just said. I, I mean, to be quite blunt, um, and, and although I was just listening, I, I popped out of the car, grabbed some medicine, and got back in the car, and I heard you talking about the Gonagal and you know, but well, that was the best said, part. I'm very impressed. Well, that was I'm I very yeah, impressed. The best part of what I said, I guess, it was probably when you were out of the car. That was awesome. That the couple sentences I said there when you were out and you couldn't hear it, like that was my best work, I think. <laughs> Man, I hate I missed that. That's just killing me. Yeah, that's right. Well, hey, get the podcast, Steve. I know. I appreciate the call, Steve. I do. And look, I maybe it's a bit fa- uh, fatalistic here for me. Yeah, I, I don't know, but like I'm at peace with this. After doing this now for you know, I've been a talk show host for over a decade. And going through the 2015-2016 election cycle, having the arguments, making these arguments, having the debate. And what I have found over the years is that people come to their own conclusions and they will do so based on their own uh, formulating of opinions, right? They will come to their own beliefs. They don't need me to scream at them and say, this is what's going to happen because it's all predictive. I don't know that. By the way, Jeff Duncan doesn't know that either. He can't tell the future. And if he does, I would like... The winning lottery numbers for the one point something billion dollar jackpot. Thank you very much. All right, more on that in a minute. First, let me tell you, the Heritage Life Skills event was fantastic. Every year, Bill and Jan Sturette organize the event to help people get educated on how to be prepared for anything. The Sturettes own Carolina Readiness Supply, 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials you'll need for any kind of emergency. Food, water purifiers, lighting, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies, because being prepared is just smart. The Heritage Life Skills event brings education and vendors from all over to help people do just that. I was honored to be able to be a small part of it. And whether you're an experienced prepper, have no clue what you're doing, or maybe you're somewhere in between, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you in Waynesville and always at carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? Hello, Brian. Welcome to the show. What's going on? Hey, what's up? Hey, Hey, look, if there's not a free and fair election in 2024, the 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 Republicans are just never going to win. The Democrats have to completely control the narrative to win these elections. They can't win with fair and square voting. But let's face it, the, the Rona took out Trump. They had to do mail-in ballots. And so uh, this is just going to continue. Who knows what the left is going to do in 2024? It could be uh, climate change. It could be blackouts. Uh, who knows what lengths they'll go to start another war, 
I mean, they, these people are evil and sick, and that's why Trump is the only solution here. So, hang on a second. Hey, Brian, do you remember yeah. what do you remember uh who did all of the um uh who did the funding for all of the mail-in ballots under the CARES Act? No, probably not. That was Trump. Okay. All right. Well, so, then I mean, uh, he I he approved the spending. No way, Joe Biden. He did not get 81 million votes sitting in his basement not campaigning. Mm-hmm. No possible way. There are seventy million of us who know what went on. And why do you assume again, that? Why do you assume that he couldn't get eighty million, but your guy got seventy million? How do you know that those numbers, like if there's fraud on Joe's side, why wouldn't there be fraud on the Republican side? Are you saying Republicans don't engage in fraud? It, it's very possible, but I would uh, I would be surprised if that's the case. Um, but but again, I'm just saying. Look, when Trump came down the escalator. They attacked him from the first moment, yeah. including the DOJ, the FBI, mm-hmm. the everybody attacked him. So we know that they don't like him being there because mm-hmm. he exposed the WHO, he exposed the, the Economic Foundation, he stopped funding those people, and he is literally stepping Who in there he's... playing, you know, in, in what their playground is and all of the, even the rhinos, even some on the right. Are, are, it's a uniparty, and, and I don't think it's ever going to be fixed until there's a free and fair election. I'll be surprised if there is a fair election in 2024. So you've you've set yourself up for you've set yourself uh, uh, a structure here of your argument, which is that if if uh, Joe Biden wins again, then it's rigged, and it and I guess it doesn't even really matter if it's Donald Trump on the other side there, right? Because what what I'm hearing you say is that if Biden wins, it's because it was rigged. Is that what you're? Is that what you believe? Based on what I've seen and based on how old I am and have watched it in the past years, decades, uh, I think for me, yeah, the answer is yes. I don't know that it'll ever be fair again. I mean, look at the corruption and the way the corruption was buried. I have spent uh, the last two hours doing so. I've been documenting all of it, all of the corruption. Right. So but what what I'm trying to get at is, is you are you're you're setting yourself up here with this uh, this line of thinking, with this logical progression, which is that my guy wins or everything is corrupt. Everything is stolen. Everything is rigged. And that is not. That, that that's not a provable logic problem. That's it's just not. That's, okay. the, I, that's my opinion. No, I know it's I your am, opinion. I'm, I'm just asking I'm you for enough. the logic. I don't. I honestly don't care what people think at this oh, point. Oh, okay. we're, we're losing our country, mm. and um, if we don't stand up and say enough is enough, my grandkids are not going to grow right. up in the same country that I grew up in. But Brian, Brian, your I'm argument old. on that point is well taken. But here's the problem. That argument gets undermined when you set up a logical fallacy that says, if my guy loses, then it's all corrupt. Because now people can dismiss the second part of what you said, because the first part is not, is not a logical progression. Do you see what I mean? Like, if you're going to say sure. that if Joe, if Joe Biden wins, then obviously it's rigged because the outcome dictates it being rigged. Then people who may not believe you or agree with the idea that it was rigged they now can dismiss everything else that you say because your original assertion is demonstrably unprovable. That's that. That's all I caution you from a from a debate perspective. You may think these things, and that's and that's fine, and you can go about trying to build your uh, build your case on that stuff. 
But if you come to the point where you're like, look, my guy wins or it's corrupt, my guy wins, wins or it's all rigged, well, now I get to just dismiss everything else you say. Yep. And that's not, that's not advancing the cause. Sure. Okay. That's, yeah. that's fine. That's, uh, I, don't, I don't argue with this with friends and even family. I've learned better. It's not worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the only time I, I give this opinion is when I call your show right. and tell you how, much, how great you're doing. And- I, well, I am glad I can be a surrogate family member for you, Brian. <laughs> and you can, uh, no, look, and this is why I go through this stuff. I, you know me. Like I say this all the time. Unchallenged ideas are easy to hold, right? And it is, it is through the debate process that we learn the strengths and weaknesses of our arguments and better strategies and approaches to having the debates, right? So, look, I mean, on the one hand, like it, when people say there's no way Joe Biden got 81 million votes right from his basement. And I would counter that by saying it actually is pretty believable. You know why? Because they mailed ballots to like everybody. They gave they sent out so many ballots in some of these states. It's not surprising that we had this record turnout. Right. Trump had record numbers, too. Nobody got more. No sitting president. Right. He always said no sitting president got more votes than he did for reelection. So it's not surprising that everybody, uh, you know, on lockdowns, terrified of COVID in their homes. Uh, it's not surprising that uh, with all of the ballots that got mailed out to everybody, you know, legal residents or illegal aliens or people with multiple ballots that get shipped to their homes and people who moved out of states, they get ballots into their new houses and stuff. That's not surprising at all. It was a completely messed up system thanks to COVID, but also, I mean, yes, it, Democrats lobbied and sued in order to get those rules in place. So it's not it's not completely beyond the realm of possibility for me to uh, contemplate that he got that many votes. No, I'm not saying they're all legal. (laughs) Valid. I'm saying valid. But we don't know what that number would be. Yeah, we have no idea what that number would be. Yeah. I mean, when you it's just like anything else in economics, when you make something easily obtained, then you run out of the supply. Uh, you you end up with, uh, with with way more interest, way more demand, and that's what happened when you send out when you tell everybody they can't you know go vote, they 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 don't want to stand in line, or they're going to get sick and die, and then you just send out all of the ballots. I think you're going to have more people participate, and especially in states where they got rid of like the notarization requirements or the witness signature requirements. They they tried to strip them all out of North Carolina's too, but but we were successful in beating that back. Um, so it's not surprising more people might participate. I went to bed at 2 a.m. and Trump was winning, and we wake up and there was a ballot dump and yep. and the numbers. It was nuts. That's was the red. That, that's no the red mirage. That's the red mirage. It happens all the time because of the way Democrats use the early voting system and the absentee mail systems. And particularly in 2020, they did. And so this is why, you know, when 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 Trump came out and he was telling people don't vote early, don't vote absentee. Like, that's a terrible piece of advice because you've got structures in place that Democrats are utilizing. And that's why we see these dumps occurring. Because all the ballots are just sitting there waiting to waiting to be counted because Democrats banked all the votes early because they went out and they did the ballot harvesting. They went out, did door knocking. Right. They did all of that legwork ahead of time. And then they don't have to worry about showing up or calling you on Election Day saying, hey, Brian, did you go vote? Hey, Brian, did you go vote yet? Because you're like, no, no, I'm going to wait till Election Day. And then you get sick and you can't go vote on Election Day. And now that vote wasn't banked. That's the problem with that strategy of only voting on Election Day. If we got early voting, never, take advantage of it. 
It's never worked for the right. The right never wins in that argument. No, they used to. No, they absolutely did. They did. They used to. Absentee ballots used to be where the right would always pick up ground because all the military absentee ballots were coming in. They always used to. that, That that used to be their stronghold. And that's why they and that's why Democrats said in like North Carolina, they were like, oh, that's why you don't want to do anything on absentee ballots, because um, uh, because you, you you benefit most from the absentee ballots from old people, from vacationers and military. And um, and that was the big criticism on the absentee ballots until Democrats used them in 2020. Uh, and the email is Pete at the Pete Calendar show dot com, which is where I have uh, this. Oh, no, I forgot to write up the podcast description. Darn it. Uh, all right. I'll get to that in a minute. First, all right, let me get to this email. This is from Stan uh, regarding uh, subject line, elections rigged. Pete, both sides will now see all elections going forward as rigged if their candidate is not declared the votainer. Great use. Great use of the term votainer. Best email of the day. Um, He says, because both sides see their side as more moral than the other, and there's no way my side could not have won, and thus they don't need any evidence uh, as to whether or not it was rigged. Right? And look, I I agree with Stan there. Uh, This has been my uh, concern for a very long time, which is why I am pro-election integrity, which is why I fight back on all of these leftists, and I did not get to the story again today about Mark Elias. Um, I will do it tomorrow because there is a connection here. You know, Mark Elias, he is this uh, connecting point between the Russiagate steel dossier crap and uh, and election integrity measures or lack thereof. And um, this has been one of the reasons why I have, you know, long argued for uh, for controls for election integrity, because when people don't believe that their their votes matter, they don't believe that the election uh, process is counting the votes correctly. Right? Then, then you don't have a credible system. And for the, all the people that are like, "Oh, I can't. You, I, I, I got to be able to to vote uh, whenever and wherever and however I want." And like everybody has to accommodate the laziest portion of the public that can't be bothered to go vote during a window of two weeks. Right? That somehow or another. Like everybody else is supposed to dismantle all of the constructs of controls to guard against fraud. And we're supposed to now just accept that, oh, well, fraud's going to happen. No, I don't accept that. I don't accept that. And that's why, to me, it's so important that we have a system that is reliable, it's credible, uh, and has integrity. So that's my concern. Because, yeah, you're going to end up with whoever loses saying that it was rigged. And we've already, we've got two election cycles now. And... Actually, if you go back to 2000, right, that's where it all started. All right, I'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.